long day today, but other than that, I was doing pretty good. I was doing some exercise earlier, which is, uh, I normally do it later, but which is good because it yes. got me really into the day. So that's good. Just, uh, there's so much action going on in this market. Like usually you don't get these kind of moves, like all packed into one week or one day. Usually it's like over like six months. It's right. Just, so it's just crazy. So I just didn't want to miss anything. So there's a lot to talk about today. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, where would you like to start? I think I'd like to first talk about the market action that's taking place and just kind of put it into some perspective. We had this coronavirus that was wreaking havoc on the, the market for quite some time, but like in any kind of period, there's, there's always a pocket of green somewhere. And uh, the goal is to try to find it. So, but when you find it, you can't just use technicals or behaviorals. You really got to tie it to um, spending cycles and just common sense. So just mm -hmm. using a bit of common sense here. And I, we've kind of talked about it a, um, a few times on the uh, show, but some numbers recently came out. Uh, just in terms of some polls that were uh, going on. And uh, it basically, uh, yesterday, there's some polls that were indicating that uh, employer and worker communication and collaboration and customer um, engagement technology um, is really um, in high demand, not surprising, mm -hmm. uh, considering everybody's uh, at home. Uh, the other thing is because a lot of people are at home and even if we do end up, uh, you know, going back to work uh, soon, like outside of the home. Um, and the reason why I say that is because um, just after the close uh, today, there was some very promising uh, results that just came out uh, through one of the stocks that uh, I've been following with uh, the prediction machine here that we're, that I'm using. And, uh, Basically, uh, it's Gilead uh, Sciences uh, that, by the way, has had a significant buy signal, still is in a long-term buy signal, mm -hmm. um, along with Regeneron, which are both working in the, in the space. But uh, there's one of the drugs that Gilead's been working on. It's been getting some tremendous trial results so far. So if that continues, I could see some a glimmer of hope of uh, you know opening up the economy uh you know sometime within the next uh several weeks and, yeah uh, yeah um gilead jumps nine percent after patients in a trial were recovering rapidly from severe cv symptoms very skeptical of what this actually looks like there was an article that came out and i think it was on cnbc uh, i'll link to it in the in the show notes but one of the uh moderators um, but she said it was always hard because the, the severe trial doesn't include a placebo group for comparison. Basically, it's not really qualitative data. Exactly. It's just the first. So far, there's a glimmer of hope, but statistically, depending on how you run the test, you could get different results. It's just that there's a number of, of countries that have tested this on different uh, you know, I wouldn't say trials, but they've tested it ad hocly, and it seemed to show 
the same kind of result, but until there's like a double blind control study that, you know, uh, it's, un, you know, it's unlikely gonna, you know, give us definitive results, but I think it, it is a glimmer of hope. The only thing I'd like to add to that is that there is, it, this is a very complicated from the research that I've been looking at uh, from what a number of uh, doctors and, and, and biomedical people have been putting out is that there's more than one pathway for this uh, coronavirus to actually um, enter the body. And originally uh, we thought that it was the ACE2 receptors uh, that are um, in the body that basically um, is the, uh, the mechanism that opens the door for the, the spike protein uh, to come in and start infecting various organs. But apparently uh, there's a component of this um, disease that is, I wouldn't say it's directly related to, to HIV, but in the sense of that um, there's another pathway that they discovered where entry of this virus could come into the body and that could come through uh, in the interaction with the T cells in the same way, in a similar way that HIV kind of uh, attacks the immune system and makes it difficult to fight uh, the progression of the virus. So the, this is an extremely uh, dangerous kind of finding, but the good thing is that there are a number of drug companies uh, that are have worked diligently in this space, specifically in terms of uh, shutting off uh, and inhibiting that kind of attack on the body. So if they continue to work on uh, a number of these um, genetic platforms and targeting that kind of uh, methodology, then I would expect that, you know, at some point there will be a way to get around that issue as well. So I'd say right now there's about eight or nine companies that I specifically like. I'm not going to mention all the names, but I'm just mentioning this, that I have confidence that uh, between Gilead and uh, Regeneron and uh, a few other names here, they're going to mm -hmm. get to the bottom of this, but it's certainly not an easy disease to tackle because once it gets in you, and if, you're the unfortunate one where it does find a pathway um, into the T cells and it could really wreak havoc on the, um, the immune system and started just attacking things. There's another part that, I, that was quite uh, concerning is that it also, when it attacks um, the lungs, it actually produces blood clots mm. uh, in, in different parts of the body as well as uh, causes parts of uh, the lungs to bleed out inside the red blood cells. So um, yeah, so some of the red blood cells could get, um, could surround the, uh, the uh, air, the airways or the air pockets uh, that are in the, uh, the lungs. And, uh, <coughs> and that's usually how people at the end, you know, go from a, an okay to a very rapidly deteriorating condition. But uh between the studies that I've looked at, it looks like they're trying to attack uh, those very problems. So mm -hmm. as long as they can attack those problems, uh, things are, are going to look good. But just coming up with a vaccine, a standard vaccine, I'm assuming our immune system is going to take care of the rest of it. 
Uh, it's not going to be the case unless you're you're attacking that uh, you know that um, T cell component of the, of the virus because uh, otherwise our immune system's gone and no vaccine's going to really work. So we'll see what happens. I'm not a, a medical doctor, but I just uh, was kind of disturbed to hear some of those uh, highlights there. So, so this, some disturbing news and some hopeful news. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, a positive person. So I, I just think we have some of the smartest minds in the, around the world working on this. And I think they'll get to the bottom of it. It's just that I think in the beginning you had a higher, you know, the death rate and the, you know, people were just going on to these um, ventilators, not knowing like how doctors should clinically treat the condition because um, normally like when, like what I was reading is normally that if the, uh, the amount of intake of oxygen is below a certain level, uh, usually you just automatically go to a ventilator, but what some of the doctors are discovering now, uh, just dealing with patients in the droves, uh, is mm -hmm. that it, patients that actually have extremely low levels of oxygen, but are still alert and, and, and functioning and relatively in a happy state, uh, technically at that point, they shouldn't be necessarily uh, put on ventilators. This is what somebody was saying. I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I'm not saying what he should be doing. I'm just saying that some doctors are saying that, hey, there are other alternative methods right. uh, that they're going to use first. The only time that they really notice where absolutely you got to go on a ventilator in some of these uh, studies is uh, when the patient deteriorates to the point where not only do they have low like oxygen levels below a level that you'd normally have to go in a ventilator, but also um, if they're in a, a state where they're in intense discomfort or their, um, their cognitive functioning is uh, deteriorating. So, uh, that, so in a sense, it's, it sounds scary, but it also is encouraging that because uh, the doctors have seen so many patients, they, they're getting a better handle of how to clinically treat them until such time uh, we, we have uh, better therapeutics and uh, a vaccine down the way. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so that's, uh, so that was a slight diversion uh, from uh, wh where I was going in the beginning. But uh, just to get back on track here, I was um, speaking about the various polls uh, that were uh, taking place. Um, and basically, uh, one of the big things is because people are using uh, more computers and computer power at home and they're not at the office, a lot of uh, big companies are in a capital spending cycle to purchase laptops, computers, and all kinds of mobile communication devices and software related to it uh, in order for people to actually do their work at home. And, and even if uh, you know, we, we get back outside, there's still going to be a lot of, um, you know, people that are still going to be quite nervous about the situation and there, and it's likely going to be a more permanent, um, situation where more people will spend more time doing work at home. That trend was already existing and we're just, uh, this was just able to push it over the edge a little bit more. So in that sense, um, there would be good reason to look for 
companies that it, that's in the um, that services the computer hardware space and mobile communication space. And there's a few names that um, just shoot out, uh, you know. And uh, I did an intense analysis through uh, the prediction machine at, uh, that that I have here at Running Alpha. Um, and basically, this <laughs> the machine is basically saying that. Uh, one of the best stocks to invest in um, on pullbacks because I, you know, we've already had a big run and I've been, these stocks have already been um, eyed by uh, this, this portfolio, but I just think that there's a much longer runway for this activity. So I'd be uh, looking uh, for names like uh, Microsoft, which uh, benefits from the software end of, uh, of the computer. Um, I'd also be looking at, uh, AMD um, mm -hmm. and NVIDIA. Now, AMD and NVIDIA are interesting because they're also uh, the beneficiary of, uh, of data center um, growth and, and, and chip design. And AMD, as far as I'm concerned, has done tremendous uh, improvements on their chips. Uh, now, NVIDIA is also phenomenal. And both of them not only, you know, help high performance computing, um, for whether it's for gaming or whether it's for blockchain applications or whether it's just for doing business and collaborative uh, communication. Uh, but uh, between the two, uh, over the past number of days, I still, uh, AMD looks particularly phenomenal uh, in the near term, but both are, are really, really good, uh, you know, intermediate long-term investments for this um, cycle that I see continuing in tech. I almost see it like a bifurcated market. There'll be huge swaths of the market that do terribly. And uh, the areas that you really want to go into are the ones, uh, you know, the tech related ones that are going to benefit uh, from this um, increase in resources at home. And there is a capital spending cycle going on anyways, due to a lot of uh, growth in uh, in e-commerce and and uh, growth in the um, blockchain and cryptocurrency uh, arena, so yeah, those those two names. The symbol is uh, the symbols are AMD and NVDA. Uh, another name besides I did mention Microsoft already that would uh, benefit on the uh, software side of the increased use of uh, computers at home, but also Adobe is probably one of my top names, both uh, it's a name that's in the security space and in the document, uh, professional document space. And they obviously provide, uh, you know, secure documents. I think they're first in class based on the, all the metrics that I look at. And from a, uh, a sentiment point of view, and according to um, where I think people are going to be uh, really interested in, I, I believe Adobe is, one of the top names uh, to invest in. And, and it makes sense because if people are gonna be at home and, uh, and we're heading into a, uh, you know, even a, a growing e-commerce economy, considering that a lot of people are not going to the brick and mortar stores, you would expect uh, a lot of people working for these uh, companies to producing, you know, to be doing a lot of communication 
And what better way to communicate than through secure documents? So I really like that company a lot. Uh, the other area uh, that came out through the polling is, um, well, basically policy and legal communication software. So there's gonna be a lot of policy changes. There's gonna be a lot of payroll management that's gonna to have to be uh, dealt with and uh, employee uh, communication and collaboration software and customer engagement software. And one name in the space that I like in the, uh, in the cloud computing space um, particularly is Coupa software, uh, C-O-U-P. That's had a uh, significant run. Uh, so, you know, possibly on a pullback, but it is one, it's, it's, it's a core one uh, in the uh, intermediate term portfolio. Uh, in terms of uh, worker collaboration software, I really like Atlassian, which is T-E-A-M. It's had a big run. So on a pullback, uh, but uh, what else could I say here? Uh, the areas oh, that uh, I- for, uh, So for Microsoft, AMD, NVIDIA, and then Adobe, Coupa, and Team. Yeah, but if I have to say like, which are the ones like I'm just pounding the table on? It's like, it, well, I've been pounding the table on AMD. I believe uh, it's, it's as a trader, you could intraday. This is a great uh, one to be trading like on any kind of pullback intraday because it's one that's going to lead the market. So if there's a correction in the market, it's the first one to come back and make new highs. So that's how I look at leaders. Leaders, mm -hmm. it doesn't, leaders sometimes could go down just as much or more because they're more volatile. If they go up 30% and the rest mm -hmm. of the stocks only go up 5%, then normal retracements in the market are 38 to 50% if you're really in a strong bull market. So if you pull back, yeah, in percentage terms, it could seem like, oh, if you buy the high, it, it, it may feel painful for a couple of days or, or a week. But the reality is from an intermediate term perspective, uh, AMD is the first stock that would make progressively new highs in a streaking kind of way as you progress throughout the year. So as an investor, that's definitely one that has a long runway. Adobe is also like the, my favorite one in, in the software space, hands mm -hmm. down. I mean, I love Microsoft. I love Microsoft, but it just Adobe is it's it's underrated right now, and it's I think it's it's the valuations are very attractive for their growth rate going forward, and uh, even some people that you know use valuation models that may think, hey, um, it's not so cheap from a uh, a momentum point of view. It's likely going to um, and sentiment point of view, it's likely going to uh, exceed. Um, alternatives that are in the market. So that one is right at the top of the list. Another big area that goes along with all this is cybersecurity. Like you can't do all this communication and you can't send all these great documents and work on these computers without, uh, you know, cybersecurity. So uh, some companies that I really like in the space is, uh, one of them is CYBR is the symbol. And Basically, the name of that company is CyberArk Software. And it's been depressed for a while, which is why I love it. I love looking at stocks that have underperformed while this market was going up. But these are the kind of names that, like when a bull market happens, it doesn't lift all 
boats at once, uh, but it, it happens in stages. So you may have a, like the strongest stocks take off, then have a pause, and then the next set of stocks take the lead. And, this, and, and that's kind of how bull markets ignite um, and, and then make new highs. So this one, I, I really like, like as we progress through the summer, and, and prices start pushing um, above, uh, you know, the 95, 96 mark. Um, as a trader, I would be just buying now. I'd buy at a couple levels. I'd buy now. Um, if there was another crash in the market, let's say there was a black swan that nobody knew about, because that's just what a black swan is. Nobody knows. And you get like a one-day wonder, I call them, where the market just comes down, and then within the next day, it's higher than it was the previous day. Let me just throw out a price, just a crazy price, and if somebody put a limit order out there and you get filled, you're going to be a happy camper. So it's like 65 bucks. Okay. Right now it's at 88. Yeah, that's a huge drop. But you know what? These stocks have such high volatility in the market. You could be there in one second and the next second you could be up at 100. This is the kind of stock that you want to be buying incrementally. So I'd be putting an order out at 65. I'd be, uh, I'd be a buyer. Um, uh, I'd be a buyer above 90, uh, 95, especially as we uh, advance through um, April and uh, push into the uh, end of May and June months. And above that area, um, from my point of view, it seems quite obvious that it's uh, $150 is fair market value uh, on, uh, based on my prediction machine here. And uh, longer term, it looks like three or 400 is the target on this one. So this is dirt cheap. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but putting all your money in today, not smart because if there's one more test, um, then uh, you're not gonna be able to optimize it. Would it matter at the end of the day? No, like I mean, if you're, uh, if you bought right now and you, and, and you just, you know, closed your eyes and came back, you know, a few months from now, yeah, I think it, it, a person would be quite happy uh, towards the end of the year, because uh, I'd be I'd be surprised that this stock isn't above 127 to 150 um, by the end of the year. So that would be a pretty nice gain. It's also the leader in the space, so there's a good reason to want to own that kind of company. Uh, and the other one is QLYS. Uh, that one's quite interesting. Um, that's uh, Qu um, Qualys. And that's in cybersecurity space. That one looks phenomenal too. That one has already broken out to a new high, but it, it's likely going to be a leader. So uh, right now it's at 105. Uh, normal retracements in a, in a bull market is about 98. Uh, in a market meltdown, maybe 84. So those are kind of levels that I would be um, you know, buying at if I wanted to get aggressive. But if I just wanted to be a long-term holder, or, or if you're even holding the stock now, then I would just hold it and add to it at those levels. Uh, and yeah, so that's the, those are the ones in cybersecurity. But the really interesting sector, uh, considering that um, because of what just happened in the economy, a lot of people are, we already know a lot of people have lost their jobs. But now, even if the people come back to work, there's, a, there's already been a transition for quite some time to industrial automation and, you, and having robots work in factories. And, 
in redundant uh, kind of jobs and even jobs that aren't so redundant because now with the new um, artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms, uh, you can now, uh, you know, these, these robots can now do jobs that aren't just very basic. But nonetheless, these are, not, these are not jobs that robots are doing that require human judgment. So I still believe there's gonna be a, a huge category of uh, companies that will still benefit from hiring employees for judgmental things, but for the more um, rote things or pattern recognition oriented things or supply chain kind of management things, I believe there's gonna be a move towards robots. So I was looking, I was asking myself, well, what companies would actually you know, benefit the most from this? And from an industrial automation point of view, I could not think of a better name than this stock that's at the intersection of basically the hottest area in town right now, which is edge computing, the internet of everything, and 5G technology. But they're also involved in industrial automation. So, and they're in the chip space. So it's, it has everything going for it, like so many tailwinds. This company is Teradyne, and the symbol is T-E-R. That, that one, unbelievable. That's like one of my, the top names that, are, that nobody's really paying that much attention to. If they were, it would probably be double right now. So yeah, so that's definitely a trading opportunity in the short term. It's definitely um, an intermediate and long-term opportunity. Just going to go to the chart and just see what it shows. Um, really, really short term here. So, okay. So normal retracements are um, 58 bucks uh, in the really, really short term. I just want to see if there's anything more I can say about this. Let's see. Okay, so second one, I load up chart here. Okay, so right now what it's telling me is that as, it, yeah, in the really, really short term, you've got like the 61 handle and the 59 handle and uh, 64 as areas where buyers want to come in. And this, you know, and the next push up is about 77. But that's just like a very short term thing. I, I, I see that as we advance, you know, as we pass July, like maybe until we get to July, there's going to be a lot of resistance between 74 and 77. But after July, once you start getting above 78 bucks, this stock could easily double. So one thing at a time, uh, the way I like doing it is identify the opportunity, get to the first target, take a breather, reevaluate, and find an opportunity to get in at a lower level. I, I, it would be so nice that if we do get to, we do get to 77, we get a pullback to 62. I'm not forecasting that. It's just would be a normal kind of, it wouldn't be an out of the ordinary retracement in a bull market, and that would set up enough energy for the next wave up that would it would take us quite a bit higher. So yeah, so these are some of the names that are igniting the NASDAQ to outperform the S&P and a lot of the uh, weaker areas. And some of the weaker areas that came out in some of the surveys that are most vulnerable, not surprising, also common sense, hospitality, um, some transportation, 
uh, and uh, retailing. So um, yeah, and the fact that automation is replacing labor. So, so yeah, so those are the areas to avoid. Now they're not gonna be avoided forever because if the market crashes um, more in those areas or, or doesn't crash anymore, but just kind of underperforms and stays stagnant for you know, several months to, to uh, years, then at some point the market is going to beat them up so badly that the intrinsic value of their balance sheets will be worth more than what the stock says, even if the company and the prospects of the industry are terrible. Because at the end of the day, a lot of times you get these um, mergers and acquisitions that take place, or you get private equity firms coming in and buying them out, and then you know bringing them into other companies or just selling them off. So you just sell off the assets for more than what the company's worth. But we're not there yet, mm -hmm. so we'll see where those go. Uh, and then the other area, um, well, actually, I just want to expand on Teradyne. Just go back to Teradyne for a bit, because I kind of touched on some key themes that are gonna, you're going to hear a lot more of um, as we advance over the, uh, the coming months and years. And that's the concept of the, the, um, the interfacing of edge computing, artificial intelligence, and, uh, and robotics. And edge computing, just if, if you're not familiar with it. Uh, I'm not. I was just going to yeah, ask, yeah. what is that? It has many names to it. Uh, some people call it fringe computing. Some people call it fog computing. Uh, Cisco Systems called it fog computing a long time ago. They, they were one of the first to coin it and to envision what the future was going to look like. It's interesting because when I look at Cisco Systems as a stock, it's really been lagging and underperforming. That won't be forever. I can, I, I can make a case that at some point in the next um, few months, I may be getting a, a buy signal from an intermediate term point of view. Right now, it's just a, a micro day trade thing. And I don't like talking about those things because uh, if, there's, if something goes wrong with the company uh, and then the market continues to go down, it could end up not triggering the intermediate term signal. So until such time, I actually have a setup like I do on these other stocks, not, not going to be uh, discussing it in, in too much detail. But I'm just going to just look at the really, really long term just to see because, you know, they, they are a big player in the fog computing space, which I will explain what it is. In the, what is it? Now, are you spelling that F-O-G, fog? Yeah, just like fog. Okay. Yeah. It's the, originally the idea, okay, just before I get onto the idea, I'm, I'm trying to do two things or maybe three things at once, but it's not possible. Uh, well, scientifically, it's not possible and definitely when I try to do three things at once, I do about a half a thing. So that's not, <laughs> it's not, not a good thing. So, uh, okay. Yeah, it's looking very interesting to me. This is extremely interesting. Uh, let's see. You still looking at Cisco? Yeah, Cisco could really, I'm, we should definitely have a, uh, you know, remind ourselves to hold a webinar in this one possibly around the middle of May. Uh, but, but really pay attention because the market is going up right now and 
everything usually goes up, you know, like because Cisco's in a lot of the indexes and ETFs, even if Cisco in its own right doesn't have an intermediate term buy signal, the, in, the, the ETF can, and because of the ETF buying, they have to buy all the components in it. And if Cisco's in a number of them, then it could just be lifted up by the market through the beta of the mm -hmm. market. So um, I would pay a lot of attention to that uh, 44 area on, on Cisco. Currently it's at 4150. And I'd pay um, incredible attention, especially if that was uh, to be above there after May the 12th. I'm not saying if it gets above there before May the 12th, not that it can't just explode. It's just that it would be so nice because if it builds up enough pent up energy underneath that level, or if it goes above it, but then comes back and retests it, and it's any time from May the 12th onward, then I would expect a, a very sharp rally into $57 above the all-time high. And, and then, uh, you know, maybe get some resistance up at 59, then maybe a small pullback, and then this stock could double again. So I think this stock has another um, 1998 kind of rally to 2000 kind of rally that could go parabolic. So I would really focus on that. And it kind of makes sense uh, considering that it is in the, um, the fall computing and edge computing space. So now I'm going to explain what it is since I mentioned it so many times. So originally the model of computing was to have centralized data. So you have this, the centralized control of data, it came from the middle, all the processing took place at the center, and then communication with, that, um, with the center, you had a network that communicated with nodes. The nodes could be you know, computer systems, uh, it could be at Walmart that are indicating inventory that needs to be refilled, or it could be you know, uh, a factory that has a, uh, some kind of problem with their equipment and it's indicating an alert that something needs to be tested. So it sends some protocol back, you know, to the uh, central system and then it starts analyzing it. So all the processing takes place at the center, but you could see the problem with that. Problem with it is that, well, there's actually two problems, big ones. There's more than two, but there's two big ones. One is the bottleneck. You've got all these, and especially today, given that we've got like, billions of these smart devices around the world. Uh, and, and they'll probably be in the trillions like in, in, in a few years from now. And, and actually now we're actually getting to the development of these nano kind of bots where you could be in, in, the, in the hundreds of trillions. So, so the point is there's a, so many devices trying to communicate with a network, but if all of them are communicating with the center, you're gonna have bottleneck jams because every time that the, the center of the network needs to process information, it, it, it needs to send that information back and forth long distances. And it needs to do it over a whole lot of nodes. So you're gonna have a lot of congestion, just like imagine being on a highway, but instead of having like, let's say, uh, you know, six or, you know, six lanes or 12 lanes or whatever, or a bunch of tollways, you're gonna have like a trillion tollways. Could you imagine? Like that's not going to work too well. It's probably going to result in a crash of the system. Cyber criminals would be all over it. So bad idea. So uh, the idea is let's move away from being vulnerable at the center and having bottlenecks 
to moving a lot of the processing to the edge. So more towards where the nodes are. So where, you know, if, let's say somebody's holding a, uh, a mobile device and that mobile device is interacting with their surroundings and it's indicating information, rather than send that information back to the central server to do all the processing, why don't you just utilize high performance computing and local area computing near the node so that you don't have the bottleneck. So that's the idea of, uh, of edge computing. You're moving things towards the edge where the actual data is being produced. And the artificial intelligence, it used to be done, a lot of it used to be done in the center of the network. So all these uh, devices at the edge would then communicate back to the center. Then there would be a batch processing that would take place at night. And then it would shoot the information back to, to the, uh, to the uh, mobile devices or the machines and the robotics that is actually producing the data. And now, um, now that all this batch processing is coming back and taking a long time, then, then the, uh, these mobile devices and um, hardware pieces know what to do with it. The problem with that, you could see already, is that in a real-time world, especially when a lot of these devices are used for supply chain management, it's not going to work to wait overnight. Like we're in a, in a world where people expect their packages arriving on drones like in, in minutes. So it's instant like- Instant gratification. Yeah, instant. Everything's instant right now. So in, in that scenario, uh, you really need you know, to mobilize companies that are going to service that kind of architecture. And the thing is, to service that kind of architecture requires an infrastructure, which is a big component of the internet of everything. The idea is everything being connected as if it's not as if it's on the internet. So it's not just web pages that we're interacting with, but we're interacting with physical devices, robots in the factory, mobile devices, and it all has to be processed very, very quickly. But to do all that, the infrastructure you need, you need to have, well, really, really fast networks that could, um, could operate at lightning speed and not have all these bottlenecks. Oh, ding, 5G technology. That's what we hear a lot about. It's supposed right. to be a lot faster. So that's one area that's gonna benefit tremendously. So you wanna look for companies in 5G. There are so many and so many bad ones. So you really want to know which are the good ones. I like the companies that do a lot of deals, that have a lot of deals with a lot of other companies, have already had years of experience interacting with the ind different industry players that are very hard to connect with. And Cisco's one of them. They spent years like studying like the connected city model and working with all kinds of companies. Now, anyone could go, you know, could come up with the new technology, but not anyone already has the established relationship, like mm -hmm. a Cisco system, mm -hmm. or like a Teradyne, because uh, they're, they're huge into uh, 5G testing solutions. Because one of the big things about 5G, in order for it to run effectively, you need to be able to test it. And uh, two companies that come to mind right away uh, is Teradyne that I already talked about, but the other one is Keysight Technology. Uh, this, this name has been hot for quite a while. Uh, the prediction machine originally identified it way back in uh, 2017 as a buy signal. There was another buy signal in uh, 2018, late 18 and 19, um, near like the uh, 60 area. 
And now we finally had another pullback and it looks like it's getting ready for its biggest move. I believe this will be the biggest move that Keysight's gonna make in history. And for good reason, it's the leader in the space along with Teradyne, but it's, it's also, um, you know, heading right into a capital spending cycle where we expect uh, 5G technology to take off and, and connected devices and the internet of everything to be realized and move into a $15 trillion economy. So there is a lot of money to be made in this space. And uh, yeah, so those are the kind of companies you wanna really be looking at. But uh, okay, so let's move away from that. What else could we think about? Well, if we're gonna service that space, you're gonna need to have some pretty darn good uh, hardware and chip solutions. But the thing is, there's a lot of chips out there that are static. Uh, so you basically, you know, you have circuits that are designed, let's say for um, the internet of everything. So not just connecting through software, but you're actually connecting, you know, through hardware to speed up the process of all this, uh, this um, automation and all of the use of uh, artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence to run effectively. It's not good enough. Uh, with all this data coming at it just to have smart algorithms. You're going to need to have chips and circuits that could manipulate themselves and change themselves in real time to the environment or as fast as possible to the environment because you don't know what the environment's going to look like the next day. So the leader in field programmable gate array design which basically is, is the key to allowing uh, you know, uh, circuits and the gateways and circuits to be manipulated without having to know what they need to look like uh, before you, know, you actually enter that environment. So, the, um, so field programmable gate arrays are basically the idea that you're using a field, okay, some kind of a electric field, some, a field to manipulate the gates to change their logic so that it could actually cause the, um, the current to move and turn on and off certain uh, components of the, of the chip, which allow it to produce a logical output for a computing purpose, which would not be identified at the outset as in specialized uh, chip designs, which are very useful in, uh, in mobile devices. But when it comes to, um, the, uh, the internet of everything in the 5G world and robots communicating with robots and humans and all this kind of stuff, that kind of interaction requires uh, quite a bit of dexterity. And, and to do that, you need companies like Xilinx. Uh, the interesting thing is, um, one reason why I particularly uh, like Xilinx a lot, uh, besides the fact of that it's got tremendous fundamentals and it's... Um, sentiment structure looks absolutely phenomenal on my work. Symbol is XLNX. But my, my thesis advisor in university was one of the lead people that designed the original Xilinx chip. No kidding. Yeah. So, uh, and then basically sold it way before it became like, you know, but at that time it was a pretty good deal. It was a sweet deal. Uh, so, yeah, so I... It just every time I, I hear the word Xilinx, I just think about my thesis. So, um, 
it wasn't my thesis that I did it, but it's just my thesis advisor. My thesis was on predicting uh, tornadoes using uh, hierarchical artificial intelligence. So I was kind of, the buzzword today is AI and machine learning. And I was, that was what I was doing about back in the, uh, in the late, uh, mid to late nineties, uh, and then patented that. A lot of the components that go into this prediction machine at running alpha that provides all these market calls that we're, um, you know, getting out on the daily disruptor uh, mm -hmm. was based on um, actually identifying uh, tornado uh, wind patterns and in um, high dimensional um, radar imagery. So this imagery would then shoot out beams to the sky and it would look at how precipitation uh, is bouncing off, off of itself and based on the structure of the way it presents on a screen through digitized bits, uh, you could actually uh, understand the evolution of, of a storm. And the, nice th the interesting thing about it, the reason why I'm bringing it up is because uh, a lot of people think that when uh, there's a storm or a tornado and you'll hear on the news, oh, uh, is it gonna hit us? And then, and then the weatherman will come on and say, yeah, it's moving towards you at 40 miles an hour. He's lying to you, it's not moving towards you at all. Uh, the, what's, the tornadoes and, and, and storms do not move towards you. What, what happens is that the, the, the mechanism, the underlying conditions that allow the storm to maintain its presence are repositioning themselves when they arrive at you. So if those components don't reposition in the way that would allow the storm to maintain itself, the storm doesn't reform. So it's constantly reforming itself at every instant. And then finally, if those conditions are there, it will get on you. That's why you'll see a lot of times a storm cloud come towards you and immediately it's raining in the backyard and there's nothing in the front yard because in the front yard, there's no meteorological conditions that allow the storm to take place. It's the same thing in this prediction model. Um, in this prediction model, if there's a market crash or there's some kind of market contagion where people are seeing sentiment in a certain way and, that, and, and, and people are starting to you know, um, collaborate with others or percolate that information through a network causing a cascade effect and let's say a market meltdown or a mania in the market like, like we've seen in the past number of years, those kind of events don't come towards you. Uh, they, they just reform and, and basically the idea is I came up with the mechanism that allows me to actually see how, to actually see the term structure of sentiment before human and machine traders arrive there in the future. And if you could see the orientation of the biases of different types of traders, what will happen is you could then see the conditions that are necessary for a contagion either on the upside or the downside to form. So all these stocks I've been talking about that I'm very bullish on, they all have the conditions in the future for the biases of all the investors interacting with each other in nonlinear ways to produce an, an output that nobody could really see or make sense of today, but they take shape as we progress towards those points. So that's why I have the confidence that not only because there are fundamentals supporting and capital spending cycles supporting these stock movements, but there's actually fundamental physics underpinning human and machine perception that drive behavioral patterns. 
which is part of the reason why behavioral science has failed to a certain degree to make bold predictions in the market. They, they're, it's good for explaining things after the fact, not mm -hmm. great for causing people to change their actions. But if you could actually see the term structure of these sentiment biases before you arrive in the future, you could actually not only predict the market, but you could actually create the circumstances that allow you to get there more, more, most efficiently. And that's kind of what this show is all about. If I could, you know, tap into these biases and then indicate which areas of the market people should be focusing on, it's not only useful from an investor point of view, but it's also useful from people that are in the companies that are deciding, oh, should I go into, should I use my talent in engineering and apply it to an area where there's no bias in the future? Or should I be applying it to an area where a small amount of engineering talent will actually create a tailwind effect in the market to produce an outcome that will be much bigger? So we're actually uh, you know, providing insight to people that are in university that wanna have an idea of what areas you know, they should actually be focusing in on the future. Because if these are the areas that the sentiment bias of the world are gonna be focusing on, then if you're, if you're gonna be you know, focusing your thesis studies or your engineering studies and scientific studies, data science studies, in those sectors of the economy, you're most likely not only gonna have a job for a long time, but you're also gonna be able to benefit from the, um, the effects of producing the results that make our society more cohesive and better because we're not utilizing the technology to take away necessarily jobs from people, but to actually amplify what makes people useful in the economy. And I believe all these kind of technologies, especially edge computing, because when you think about it, edge computing is taking resources from the individual. And then basically the networks are processing vital information that each of us are producing. We call that data exhaust. So you'll always hear in the news, oh, there's this, all this data and we don't know what to do with it. Well, we don't have to worry about that anymore. All we have to do is produce the data and eventually once it gets onto the blockchain and our, and our technology advances enough, we, we'll find ways that companies won't be taking the data away from us and then using it to sell to somebody else and we get no benefit. But eventually what will happen is that these, the data at the edge that are used on these devices the devices will see the value in it. They will get timestamped onto the blockchain so that the individuals that are providing, that have the greatest reputation of providing value and content to the edge, which could then be utilized by the other resources in the network, will then get a kickback in terms of the value of that um, cryptocurrency that's tied to the productive value of the network that it's providing to society to sustain itself. So that's kind of how the blockchain fits in and where the future is heading. So in that sense, um, that's why I mentioned Xilinx because they're right at the center of it. But another company that's um, at the center of it in low power field programmable gate arrays is Lattice Semiconductors. I particularly like that one. It's a smaller one. A lot of people don't know about it. It's below the radar. Uh, Xilinx is the bigger name, so it's, it's the easy bet, but owning both of them for the future, I believe, 
Lattice is going to be a takeover candidate at some point because they're small enough and they've got some very, you know, high performance designs for low power uh, processing in field programmable gate arrays. Um, Xilinx just did a big deal with Samsung, uh, you know, um, just this week. And I just think you're going to see a lot of M&A in that space. So those are just two phenomenal names to, uh, along with Teradyne to take advantage of this this new world order in, in terms of computing. Um, and at the center of all this, again, our a name that we're very familiar with in e-commerce is Amazon. Amazon's mm -hmm. been dead for a long time. It's a company just everybody knows about. It. It's absolutely incredible the size, but it, I, it, it looks like it's, it's between Microsoft and Amazon in my books that are going to be the, the leaders of this world going forward. Um, but Amazon for some time, I, I, like I've been mentioning that uh, I've been bullish on, on that one. We just recently broke out again. And I, I, I see this stock. There's no reason why this stock shouldn't, shouldn't move towards, uh, you know, 3,000, 3,200. Sure, it could go higher than that. But I think that's kind of, uh, you know, the area that I'm focusing on. But more importantly, from a, a, an investor and trading point of view, uh, just, you know, for people that may have you know missed this one and it's it's up so much what areas which somebody you know try to look for a pullback well look if you were to jump in you just need to know your risk so if you jump in uh then well there's there's lots of support in in the uh in the in the 2000 well 2100 area and uh 1929 area so yeah so from a reward to risk point of view if there was a uh a meltdown for something unforeseen for a day or two, uh, then yeah, that's like a 500 point downside risk for a move up of you know 600 to 700 points. That's not the kind of um, trade or investment that I think is great, even though the probability of it happening, at least from the way I see things, is you know uh, extremely high. I, I like things that have a reward to risk of like three to one, 10 to one, and it was there, like when I was initially, you know, talking about it, it was down in like around, uh, it was in the 2000 area. Um, and uh, in the 1900s, uh, there was, but the point is, it's not there right now. So I'm going to just try to go to a really short term time frame, see if there's anything for day traders or for anything else, like another way in. And just looking at right here, super short term. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, there is, there is some support at 2300 in, uh, in 50 area, but the thing is, I mean, you know, it is in, a, in, in, in quite a run to the upside. So if this thing is going to continue and just continue exploding on the way up to, uh, to 3100, 3200 without a pullback, uh, then it's likely going to, you know, it would there would be a lot of buyers coming in between the 2,350 area and uh, the, uh, the 2,250 area. Okay. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so that's, that's what I would say. But uh, outside of that, those other levels I mentioned, but if you were just holding this for the next, you know, for this year, I see this thing just rocketing up as a, a leader in that space. Um, the other space, the other area that's big that came out, like obviously in this uh, in this polling area, is uh, gaming technology. 
So what would benefit from gaming technology with people that are using it? It's already been a big area, but even bigger now, considering that people are bored at home. And uh, once the trend starts, people start getting addicted. So there's probably a lot of new people that have been introduced to the gaming space that may have not been in the gaming space. Uh, and there's a few areas to invest in it. Some of the names I've already mentioned, like data center chips, like AMD and NVIDIA, right. they're definitely uh, directly connected to the gaming space from a hardware point of view. But from uh, the um, software point of view, there's this uh, company in um, Singapore uh, called uh, C Limited. So uh, let me just put it up here for one second. Uh, the symbol is SE and it trades in uh, on the New York Stock Exchange. Okay, as, a, as, an AD, as an ADS. So, okay, that basically means that it's, it's a security outside the country mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and basically uh, this stock looks just I mean it's had quite a run already but uh, any minor pullbacks are going to be followed by likely uh, the next move up is let's see here 20 30, about 80 82 bucks is is the next push up on this one. So this is definitely one in the intermediate term that I like, uh, but uh, what other ones do I like? Uh, let's see. Well, that's, that's the first one that comes to mind. Uh, and in terms of uh, play at home kind of stocks, uh, Netflix uh, continues to be, that's one that I talked about a while back um, on the show just a little while ago. It was in the much, much lower. It's I think the last episode actually. Yeah, it was last. Okay, it's already moved. It's been it's been a while since we've done this. Yeah, well, you know what? Couple days. In a trading day, they, to me, like ten minutes is a long time. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So this one is uh, run up to the uh, first area of uh, some resistance, but it's not really resistance that's going to hold for very long. Uh, I, yeah, I see this this stock continuing uh, to outperform, but I do have to say on a uh, on a daily chart, um, resistance just above here, there's 453 to, uh, to 448 is resistance. So we kind of hit that area today. And, uh, and it, basically it was an area to take some profit. And, but as we progress, uh, you know, deeper into, um, into the middle of the year, like into the, the May period, uh, any kind of consolidations, whether they're, you know, back to 400 or whether they go down to 376, or if there was some kind of craziness in the market and it came all the way back down to 350. I mean, I, I, I don't, like when I go into the market, I just, I buy something that I like and then I add it at key levels. So I would be adding it at, uh, uh, you know, three, 384, 412, 345, 332. And I'd be holding this thing as a, as an investor until uh, let's see, uh, I'd be holding it until 720. That's my uh, my target on this one. So yeah, so it's got a long way to go uh, as sure. an investor. Yeah.
So yeah, the, so those are the areas that I like. And then just in terms of uh, drugs, I've we, we already talked a lot about the drug space. It has been like drug companies were, you know, roaring back in the 1990s. And then they kind of went into a kind of a depression. Nobody really cared about them. And they just kind of sold off for the past uh, couple decades. But uh, they are now reviving and we're going into a secular bull market in, in big pharma and in, in biotech for the coming years. And what better catalysts? Well, I don't like using the word better, but this, this coronavirus is certainly the catalyst for these companies to work in areas that they weren't really focusing on as much because they didn't think there was a need. They thought, oh, there's more money in these other areas, but not everything's about money. Uh, they need to focus on things just so that we don't have these disruptions. So they have to almost focus on areas now from a risk management point of view, because there's two components to making money for these drug companies. One is if they're in the lab working, uh, then okay, at full capacity, that's great. But if you get these kind of uh, these viruses that take place uh, every so-and-so and you don't have the ability to work at full capacity, that's a downside risk. So they should be, when they're able to work in the lab, they should be not just focusing on uh, the areas that they think are most um, profitable at that moment, but focus on areas that if something terrible was to happen, that they would already be well on their way to solutions to uh, some of these big challenges in the immunocompromised uh, space. So some of the Quickly names- adapt. Yeah, and we, we talked about some of the names and they've had a huge run uh, you know, since our uh, previous, uh, podcast one of them was Regeneron uh, that one is just screaming up it, it it's up at close to $540 today um, and yeah we were talking about it way lower than that but this is a stock that I I, I see um, in this uh, bull market uh, going up to around $1,200 minimum and I could see it going way higher than that I just I just it's just incredible a, a stock a large cap stock like that uh, could have that kind of runway, but that's just what this um, prediction machine is indicating based on the uh, term structure of sentiment. And also just there's a lot of fundamentals supporting those kind of companies. So even companies like Bayer uh, later, you know, as the year unfolds, uh, companies like uh, Roche, uh, companies like Vertex Pharmaceuticals, uh, companies like uh, uh, Alnalam uh, Pharmaceuticals and uh, yeah, so these are names and the names I've already mentioned in the past. Uh, there's just so many, but I, but when I look at the biotech ETF, a lot of people think, oh, just get into a biotech ETF. That's true. Biotech ETF, um, you know, eventually, you know, could do well, you know, uh, in, in that kind of environment. I just think they're just, you know, because there's so many big cap names to invest in, I'd rather just invest directly in the companies and not in an ETF. The thing I hate about ETFs is that the tracking error isn't always there. There's a lot of times they're mishandled. They own a lot of stocks that aren't, that don't have a proper sentiment structure into the future. Uh, so it's not the best way to make the most money. Yeah, you can make some money, but you know, what would you rather have? Like a 30 or 40% return or a, or a three or 500% return. I mean, and the thing is, it's not so much about the return, whatever the return's going to be, it's going to be much less in the ETF. And I think because a lot of these names are big cap names, I don't think there's actually more risk owning the stock than the ETF. Normally, 
you know, people say, well, only ETF because you got the diversification. But a lot of these drug companies, they're diversified in terms of their, their product line. And, and they're just very, very large with quite a large balance sheet to support future research and innovation. So, yeah, so those are just some of the areas. And, and of course, uh, Gilead was one of the other names that have popped, but obviously uh, as a trader buying on pullback. So those are pretty much all the areas I wanted to uh, talk about, um, you know, in that space. Uh, the other name that I did leave out in 5G, which we did talk about the other day was uh, Skyworks Solutions. So that's just one, if you didn't listen to the talk the other day. It's an interesting one. It's not my top, top name, uh, period in the space, uh, but it's definitely uh, one of them. Like uh, it, not top name necessarily in, in the most interesting um, area, but it's, a, it's an absolute necessity. So in the intermediate and longer term, uh, the next move up on this, uh, there's lots of support on this one in the, uh, in the 88 area as an intermediate term support, 83. Obviously, there's a lot more support in the short term. So if you're a, a trader trading this one, let me just take a look here quickly. Uh, I don't wanna say more about, uh, let me just see here. From, from a trader point of view, I'm not gonna discuss it. Uh, I'd rather just stay away from that. From, but from an investor point of view, I'd say uh, the, the 88 uh, to 82 area is intermediate and long-term support. Lots of support there. Even when we had the, uh, the big crash just recently, it found support at the key level. This is like a major, major, like deep valuation level for buying on this prediction machine. It had a, like around $72. So if, if for whatever reason, if you, you know, if you just put some stupid order out at, at 72 bucks again and you get filled, it would probably immediately go back to you know 95 or 100 within a day. Like, so it's, um, but realistically, the, uh, the 88 to 82 area is long-term support, short-term support, 89, 90. Uh, and uh, where do I see this going? Next line of attack on the upside is uh, 113, but as, uh, and then, um, 137 is, is the next area. But I do believe that as we pass through um, next year, as we advance through next year, we should, you know, um, any kind of pullback from that area uh, should advance us to much, much higher highs. I could, I can make a case here for, on this one for, uh, let's see here. Uh, hundred and ninety bucks would be my intermediate to long-term target on this one. So yeah, there's a huge runway. So that's yeah, it is definitely an interesting name. But uh, Keys and Teradyne are just I don't know, they're just exciting because I'm I'm a hardware kind of guy. So mm -hmm. uh, I like hardware, but I mean I did a lot of stuff in in software for sure. So um, but you know Skyworks makes a lot of those basic uh, you know kind of uh, you know, chips that are, are necessary for the internet of everything uh, world. So, yeah. So that's pretty much it in terms of uh, the areas uh, of innovation for the future. Uh, there is one thing, I always leave one thing out. I always say it's pretty much it and it's never it. 
So let's just, let's just <laughs> add one last thing because uh, I think it's important considering the crisis we're in is cloud computing technology geared to the healthcare management system because healthcare, there need, there's, there's a lot of reform taking place in the healthcare space, but not just from a bureaucratic point of view, you know, in terms of what kind of policies we need to make, but also bureaucratically from the point of view of how to deal with the data and privacy of the data and to manage the incredible amounts of information that we currently have that are being digitized into the system uh, and also that are going to be, um, you know, all the data exhaust is going to be produced by um, all these kind of uh, telemedicine devices. Like, you know, so, uh, you know, the first name that comes to my mind, you know, in the cloud computing space for managing all this stuff in uh, would be uh, VEEV. Uh, that's basically Viva Systems. Uh, this is one name I, I, I wish I did mention in our, in our prior podcast, but there's only so many things we can mention on a podcast. The initial signal came in at the time that we were talking about the biggest rally in history to be starting in the markets, which I would say this is just the biggest rally. It's probably the fastest market ever in the history in such a short period of time. And usually that happens when you right after the fastest sell-off. So um, it came in at 138 was the buy signal on March 24th. Uh, there's an area of uh, resistance up around uh, 190 uh, to 186 area, uh, but uh, that's just, you know, <laughs> that's just like a short-term rest. Uh, but in terms of my uh, target on this one uh, initially is uh, until there's another definitive signal is, uh, let's see here, 40, 60, so about $240 would be the next uh, intermediate uh, target on the upside. But th more important than, than just what the target is, I, I, it's just the best in class name if you're trying to invest in this whole idea of uh, digitizing the future of electronic records into the, uh, into the cloud. So that's definitely an exciting name. And, it's, and, the, and the thing that goes along with it is all this telemedicine. So some telemedicine companies out there, like um, there's two that come to mind that I'm gonna be looking at and uh, is basically biotelemetry uh, which is BEAT, B-E-A-T. And the other one is TDOC, T-D-O-C. And uh, basically TDOC has already had such a big run. I don't like buying stocks that are, that, this is a trading stock. So it's something that, you know, as a day trader, somebody was, you know, paying for my service. And yeah, they could get the details of exactly when, uh, when to buy, how long to hold and all that information. So there's a lot more detail, as much detail as I provided today in the, this prediction machine could hone in to like literally the minute and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and the days that you should be buying at certain areas. So, um, but anyways, the point is uh, where Beat, Beat hasn't had the kind of run up yet that uh, TDOC has had. So from that point of view, uh, it's something that I'm gonna be, uh, you know, paying attention to. And if I actually see a confirmed 
long-term signal on this one. And I'm just going to check on the super long-term because I haven't looked at this one uh, for a bit on the super long-term. Let me just see if something's coming in here. Uh, right now it is indicating a massive buying opportunity. I, I love this one. This one is already triggered on the long-term. It's, it's basically indicating to me that the low has been put in. Okay, so we made a low when the market would crash um, back into March 18th. We made a low at around uh, $27. Let me just make sure I have the, the price right. $27.35. We're currently at $42.98. So you could see the, the variability of stocks in the medical space that have high volatility. The all-time high on this stock, uh, biotelemetry or BEAT, uh, was up at $70.00. But uh, yeah, no, right now we're, we've, we're, we're setting up for some very interesting times. And as we advance, uh, you know, going into the, uh, into next uh, spring, you should see this stock uh, really go on fire. And if for whatever reason, uh, there was some report that came out and it caused the stock just to stay in a consolidation, I wouldn't, as a long-term investor, I would take that as a buying opportunity because if it was to ever pull back to the lows and test 35.50 again, um, I would be adding in size. But I would definitely have a core, I would definitely be owning this and trading this and buying it on pullbacks and then also adding it if there was some kind of, you know, one more test of that low it would be an unsuccessful test because it wouldn't stay there and it would be probably at a higher level pretty quickly and uh to me what i see is uh this thing pushing above uh, 52 bucks and uh as you advance through uh next year the next uh i don't really see any resistance until uh from there until around 77 to 83 and then after a pullback i could see um it shows long-term in this one, it wants to go to uh, $140. So considering that it's at 42 bucks, uh, this couldn't be a better time to be putting it into the shopping list because this is a stock of the future that hasn't yet been noticed by Wall Street. And, uh, you know, TDOC has, um, but this one hasn't. And it's right smack in the middle of... Uh, of a capital spending cycle in the uh, telemedicine space, uh, which fits in nicely with uh, Vive in the cloud computing healthcare record space. So, Hey guys, thanks for listening. So this podcast is for information purposes only. It's not intended to be investment advice. Seek a duly licensed professional for actual investment advice.